John chapter 3, and I'm going to read, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 21. Of course, this is Jesus' message to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, and those words mean truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I tell the message this morning, believing in the life of God. The life of God. Let's pray and look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for uh, your word that you preserve for us. And I pray as we look into the word of God today that we allow the Lord, the Spirit of God, uh, to search our hearts and to... Um, uh, Encourage us and challenge us and bring conviction where conviction is needed. And, Father, where um, uh, someone may be without Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and reveal that to them today. And, Lord, help them to uh, allow their heart to be made manifest. And so, Lord, just work and glorify yourself, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this passage is often preached and promoted in a way that teaches easy believism. John 3.16, the simple gospel. But if you keep it in this context, 
which that's a first rule of interpretation is context. If you keep it in its context, it teaches no such thing. You know, Jesus here is talking to a religious man who, who understood the Old Testament law. He knew of the prophets and all those things. But, and he acknowledges that Jesus was a teacher or a rabbi that was come from God. So, so was Elijah. So was Elisha. By the way, they did miracles too. They did miracles too. So in reality, he's putting Jesus on the same plane as one of them. But Jesus said to him, except a man be born again. Now, that term essentially means to have new life. And the theological term for that is regeneration. Regeneration. It isn't simply, as as one commentator said, it isn't simply a moral or religious reform, but bringing new life to belong to the heavenly, a heavenly kingdom, one must be born into it. And for there is nothing one to do, can do to be born. There isn't anything you did to be born. This, this isn't something that we can do of, of ourselves. You know, Jesus didn't say, unless you're washed, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, a man can wash himself, but a man cannot birth himself. And so regeneration is is really the definition, is the production of a new life consecrated to God. It speaks of new life. And this word regeneration is used several times in the Bible. For example, in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." And so he was talking there about the time when he comes the second time and he's going to create all things new. The regeneration. Everything's going to be new. He's going to recreate the earth. It's going to be all new. Revelation 21.5 talks about it. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Regeneration is a new life. It's not a reformation of the old. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So regeneration is making of things new or new life. Again, it's not a reformation of the old, but an overcoming of the old by the power of God through the indwelling spirit. You know, the Bible speaks in, in many other places about being born again or being regenerated. Peter speaks of it in 1 Peter one three says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. There it speaks of that again, that's that's new life, begotten us again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter one of verse twenty three, again Peter speaks, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. James speaks of bringing forth being brought forth by the word, James 1.18, of his own will begot he us 
with the word of truth. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy we saved us, by the washing of regeneration. Again, a new life. And it's done by the Spirit of God. Romans speaks of dying with Jesus and rising to new life. Romans chapter 6. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul spoke to the uh, Corinthians that said, you're just like newborn babes. You've got new life. Newborn. So salvation is not a reformation or a makeover of the old man, but it is new life introduced into a person's life through the Spirit. So as we think about that this morning, let's notice several things that are required for us to receive this new life. First of all, from this passage, first of all, there's a, we need to realize our need of being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a very righteous man, a very religious man, who, who was you know, fervent of the law and all, all that and, 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 and all. But Jesus said unto him, answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you know, it, it was taught, one commentator said this, it was taught widely among the Jews at that time that since they were descended from Abraham, they were automatically assured of heaven. In fact, they told Jesus, we'd be Abraham's seed. And have never been in bondage to any man. The you know, funny thing is, they were in bondage to Rome at the time. But, you know, they said, we're, we're Abraham's seed. What they're essentially saying is, we're Abraham's seed, and we are assured because we're Abraham's seed, we're assured of heaven. Because we are the children of God. The commentator goes on and says, quote, In fact, some rabbis taught that Abraham stopped, stood watch at the gate of hell just to make sure that none of his descendants accidentally wandered in there, unquote. You know, most of the Jews, most of the Jews at that time looked for the Messiah to bring in a new world in which Israel and the Jewish people would be preeminent. In other words, they were looking for, some, for the Messiah to come. They were expecting a Messiah to come and to bring in, the new, bring in the kingdom, the physical kingdom, to bring in a new world, to, to, again, to recreate the world where they would rule, and, and the Messiah would rule the throne, of, that's what, the throne of David. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus didn't come the first time to rule. He didn't come to make them preeminent. He came to bring them new life in which he would be preeminent. And this is a new idea. It's a new concept to Nicodemus and the Jews. You know, Jesus here compared and contrasted salvation with physical birth. And notice verses, verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You know, for there to be a birth, a physical birth, there has to be a conception or a receiving of seed. It is true also with the spiritual, there needs to be a conceiving or the form of an idea or to think of. We have to realize that it has to be brought to our attention that we have a need. We need to be born again. 
We have to change the way we think and receive the truth of the Word of God. Uh, James 1.21 says, Wherefore, laying apart, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. You know, it is never dawned upon many people that they cannot save themselves. You know, you've been out there knocking on doors, talking to people. How many people think what they're doing is okay and what they're doing is going to save themselves? And it has never dawned on them, just like it hadn't dawned on Nicodemus, oh, we can't save ourselves. Just because we're descendants of Abraham doesn't automatically mean we're assured of heaven. You mean because I, just because I go to church, that doesn't mean I'm going to heaven? Or that I got baptized somewhere along, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily I'm going to heaven? Or I give tithes at a church, Does, doesn't that necessarily mean I'm going to heaven? No. No, it does not. I mean, here's a man who kept the law of God. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. You know, Nicodemus would have, would, have, would have been right in with a group of many that live all around us today. Thinking because they go to church, they have, been, they have joined a church, maybe they have worked in church, they even pass out tracts. And put money in the offering plate. Give money to missions. And keep the law of God. You know, you see signs some places about, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, that ain't going to get you very far. Keeping the Ten Commandments is not going to save you. Nicodemus, your good works are not going to save you. You know, all these things Nicodemus would have ascribed to. But he was lost. Jesus said, you must be born. You have to receive life from God. It isn't something that you can attain on your own. You have to realize that you have a need. Secondly, there needs to be the reproving of the Spirit. If you notice verses 5 through 8, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water under the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So for there to be birth, again, there must be a conceiving of the seed of the word of God. And for that to happen, there needs to be the reproving or the conviction of the Spirit of God. In John chapter 16... John chapter 16 and verse uh, 8, the Bible says, uh, And when he has come, speaking about the Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye shall see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So he's going to convict or going to reprove, and that word reprove there means to convict or bring to light, to expose. And see, what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus is, is exposing him 
to a reality that he needs life from God. That his good works will not atone for his sin. And for a person to come to Christ, they have to be convicted by the Spirit. Convinced by the Spirit. You know, to convict, again, means to bring to light. To, be, to convince means to move by evidence to belief or agreement. You see, Jesus is working. You know, Jesus, of course, while Jesus is on earth, he did the work of that. But now the Spirit of God through us reproves or convinces men or moves them by the evidence that we give them from the Word of God. Uh, and so the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and convinces them of belief or agreement. That's His job. And unless the Spirit of God can convince that person, they cannot get saved. You know, I think there were some that were convinced but didn't submit. That's why they reacted the way they did. There are some that I believe that are convinced today, but will not submit. They become antagonistic to the gospel. So there has to be this reproving or conviction. Then there needs to be a capitulation to the Spirit's conviction or drawing. You know, some people have this idea that I can get saved anytime I want and whenever I want. You know, with that kind of philosophy, one could wait till he is about dead and then just get saved. I mean, you can live your whole life for self and then just before you die, get saved. Right? Wrong. There's two problems with that. Number one, life and death are in the hand of God. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what the day may bring forth. There was a man in Luke chapter 12. This was his thought. He just lived for himself. He thought his life was his own. And his, his farm brought forth goods and abundance. And he said, I'm going to build barns and restore my fruit. And then sit back and, and take my leisure, eat, drink, and be merry. But in verse 20 of Luke 12, the Bible says, God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was preaching to those in Athens, in Acts 17, verses 24 to 28, he reminded them that God that made the worlds and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all 
life and breadth and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He has appointed the times, you know, the, the, the times determined, and he, it's in him we live and move and have our being. James reminds us in James 4, 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Revelation 1, 18 the Lord's mind, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of death, of hell and death. See, life and death are in the hand of God. You do not know when your life will end. That's the first problem with that kind of thinking. The second one is this. God will not be presumed upon. In Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, you know, man became wicked. The whole earth was covered with violence and wickedness, and every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And of course, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But in Genesis 6, 3, there's an interesting verse there. It says this, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, again, the word strive has the idea of conviction. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Now, you say 120 years is a long time. Well, men were living 800 and 900 years back then. But God said, all right, I'm giving them a, a time period. And when that time period is over, it's over. There's no more opportunity. There'll be no more drawing. And of course, we know from the New Testament that 120 years was the length that Noah took to build the ark and preach to the people. See, God will not be presumed upon. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said this, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. You know, unless the Father draw him, he can't come. And we find examples of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. We see an example of this, that the Father is not going to draw. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10-12 says this, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, these people here had told God, no, 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 no. And God said, okay. 
And it doesn't matter. You read the book of Revelation. This is talking about tribulation saints. People are going to go into the tribulation. And you read the book of Revelation, and there's angels flying through the, 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 the sky preaching the everlasting gospels. There's 144 witnesses going all over the world preaching the gospel. There are the two witnesses in Jerusalem. There are signs and wonders being done by these. And you know what they're doing? Hardening our hearts. They're not convicted or convinced at all. Even this is of God. Why? Because they said no to God already. See, God will not be presumed upon. You tell God no long enough, and God will say, okay, have it your way. And there may come a time in your life when you've told God long, no long enough that you can't get saved if you want to. Pastor Keith Schweitzer, we were in Ohio at a missions um, school. He had a session on biblical counseling. So there was a lady in his church that had a son who was a homosexual. And she asked him if he would try and talk to him. And he agreed he would. So he called him up, and he agreed to go out for lunch with him. And he said, uh, you know, I picked him up at his house. His boyfriend was there giving me the evil eye. And he said, we went out for lunch. He said, I was quite uncomfortable. But he said, we went out for lunch, and I, and I began to talk to him about the Lord. And he said, Pastor, I heard it all my life. He said, I always told God no. And with tears running down his face, he said, I can't get saved now if I want to. There's no hope for me. You know, really, that's what the Pharisees did. You know, Jesus started speaking to the Pharisees in parables because they had credited his work to the devil. They had crossed the line where God said, all right. See, this, this, this thinking that I can presume upon God all my life and then just get saved when I want to, this thinking is a mockery or making a mockery of God and really makes him responsible and accountable to us. And not we to him. It demonstrates an ignorance and irreverence for a holy and righteous God. You see, when the Spirit of God convicts us, we need to move. We need to respond. Because I do believe there's a day we can tell God no for the last time. And he'll say, okay. So the new birth does require a reproving of the Spirit. It also requires an understanding of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text, in John chapter 3, I want you to drop down to verse 13. It says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now, years ago I'd read through this passage, and I never really connected the verses 12 and 13 and following with the message of Nicodemus, but Jesus continued talking to Nicodemus here. And I always puzzled me, what's the significance of verse 13? And some of these verses here. But in these verses, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about his person. He is not just another great prophetic rabbi that can perform miracles. See, that's what Nicodemus addressed him as in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay? That description could fit Elijah or Elijah. They, were, they, they performed miracles. You know, that description could fit the unnamed prophet from Judah who prophesied against Jeroboam's altar and he performed a miracle. That altar was rent. And the ashes were poured out. Moses performed many miracles. But however, Hebrews 3 3 says this For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. This isn't just another Moses. This isn't just another rabbi come from God. This is the Son of God. In Luke 11 30 to 32, Luke says, For as Jonas was a sign of the Ninevites, so also shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. This is not just another Jonah. This is not just another Solomon. This is not just another Moses or Elijah or Elisha. This is the Son of God. The omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient God. He says in verse 13, And no man has sent up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. I am God. I'm in heaven now and I'm on earth now. I am everywhere present. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I'm not one of the prophets that perform miracles. I'm God. That has come to give you life. You see, this is the Messiah this is the anointed one. This is Emmanuel, which is God with us. I am, the, you know, verse 13, I am the omnipresent God. I am almighty God of Isaiah 9, 6 and Revelation 1, 8. I am, uh, in verses 14 through 16, he talks about, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, he says, I am the revelation of the love of God. Whosoever, you know, God so loved the world that he gave. I'm the revelation of the love of God to man. I, in verses 16 17, I am the anointed one of Psalm 17 2. I am the Lamb of God that God said, God, or Abraham said, God would provide himself a lamb. Genesis 22. I am the one who will judge the world in righteousness. It's verses 18 through 21. You know, Psalm 8. 
says he will judge the world in righteousness, Psalm 96.13. And of course, Acts 17.31, Paul said that he's going to judge the world in righteousness. See, I'm not just one of the prophets that works miracles. Nicodemus, this is who I am. I am the I am. I'm the I am. You see, Jesus is not just a rabbi or a great teacher. and He didn't come to be a good example or a pattern to follow he, or just to save you from the problems of life or the tyranny of Rome. He says, I came to give you new life. New life. John 10.10 10 says, I am come that might have life and they might have life more abundantly. You know, he's not just a loving Savior, though he is that. He is the Lord God Almighty. He's Jehovah. And he is the one who is coming to execute judgment and justice on this earth. You see, salvation is new life. This new life requires an acceptance of the person of Christ. That's what Peter told the Jews in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. Those Jews who had crucified Jesus, Peter tells them this in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 38, of course verse 37 it says, When they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall I do? You know, these men were, were pricked in their hearts. They were convinced that this was the Christ. And now they have to do something about it. Now they have to make a decision. Peter said unto them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, everyone, in your name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far, even as the many as our Lord our God shall call. He says, you need, to, you, need to believe on, you need to believe on the Lord. You need to be baptized, repent and be baptized. Your baptisms, you know, you might say, why do you include baptism here? I'll tell you why. Because baptism demonstrates that a person believes in the death, burial, and resurrection. And the resurrection is what proves beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus is God. If you study Jewish history, you'll understand why baptism was so significant to the Jews. Because when a Jew got baptized, he was cut off. He was cutting himself off from Judaism. He was taking a stand against Judaism. He was saying to the Jewish leaders, I no longer believe what you taught and told us about Jesus Christ, but I believe what he said about himself. That he is God. That he is the Messiah. They clearly understood it. You see, it was a dec- the, the baptism is a declaration of the belief in the person of Christ, that he is the Lord. And there were consequences. You know, the consequences of a Jew being baptized is what we ch- find in chapters 4 and 5, where they, they had all, the church had all things common. It's because many in the church lost their livelihoods. 
because they were cut off from their families because they got baptized. Still true today. Henry Benick was a Jewish man that my wife and I knew. He was a missionary, became a missionary of Jews. When he got saved, his parents disowned him. They wouldn't talk to him. Disinherited him. See, the Jews clearly understood the significance of baptism. You know, this was a condition that Philip gave to the Ethiopian eunuch. What do you believe about Jesus? He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, salvation requires that we accept his person. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. And reception, and fourthly, the reception of the Lord Jesus Christ brings corresponding life. In verse 8, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now he compares the Spirit of God here to wind. Now wind is a power not visible to the eye. Its effects are visible. But if you were living somewhere there was, where there was no vegetation, I mean, if you lived, lived in a city and there were no trees and no grass high enough you know, to, to be moved by the wind, and you looked out the window, you, you wouldn't know if it was windy or not. Now, if we, if we want to know at our house, if we want to know if the wind's blowing, I just look toward the neighbors because there's trees. And I can't see wind, but I see its effects. I see the leaves blowing in the wind. Uh, <clears throat> you know, trees are strong, but the wind can move them. I mean, the wind can even blow them over. You know, the wicked and carnal nature of man is strong, but the power of the Spirit of God is stronger. And it's interesting what Jesus said here. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So is. If a, first, if a person professes to be saved, and the wind of God, his spirit, indwells every saved person, if that spirit has no effect at all, no fruit, is their life. Jesus says, so is everyone that is born. I can't see the spirit of God dwells in you. Doesn't change your appearance. But it does change your life. The effect, it has an effect on your life. Yeah, so some it's more drastic than others. But there is an effect. You know, Galatians 5, 22 to 24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is all law. 
And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You know, these scriptures are written to us as if this fruit will be automatic. And we know that where there is life, there is evidence of life. Look at, look at John chapter 7. Let's look at Nicodemus as an example. John chapter 7. Now, from this passage, you would get no indication that anything changed in Nicodemus' life. Am I correct? As far as I can tell, nothing has changed. Okay, John chapter 7. <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know what the time frame here is, is here. It may have been a year, two years. You know, we know Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. How early Nicodemus came to him, we don't know for sure. Uh, but according to dates in my Bible, it, it, was, it could be up to two years. Between John chapter 3 and John chapter 7, look at verse uh, 48. And they, they have sent, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, have sent somebody to arrest Jesus, and they come back without him. They come back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, verse 44. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, verse 46, Never man spake like this man. They answered the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law is cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? I'm telling you, I believe that they were angry at him for that statement. They're saying, are you also out of Galilee? Jesus, they believed, was from Galilee. The disciples were from Galilee. They were Galileans. So this was said in derision to him. Art thou also search and look for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet? Jesus wasn't born in Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem. Every man went to his own house. Go then to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of, Jews, of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and brought a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Here, Nicodemus is openly testifying. Of Christ. He can't hide it now. This is open. They went to Pilate and begged the body and prepared it. You see, Nicodemus gave evidence. It didn't happen immediately. You know, he needed to be convinced. He needed to be persuaded. You know, Paul says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. If you persuade somebody that the Spirit of God isn't dealing with, 
They're persuaded against their will. But at some point, Nicodemus became convinced, persuaded that Jesus was the Christ. He was God. He wasn't just a prophet come from God. No, he was God come to man to give his life that we might have life more abundantly. Have you received that life? You see, the Son of God, God manifests himself to man to give life. To be our Lord and our Savior. Have you accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior? Has the Spirit of God worked in your life? Bringing about that salvation, trust in him. And are you allowing him to bring forth that corresponding life?